It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. You're listening to the best of Guy Benson. I want to talk about this. I saw a clip just flying across social media over the weekend. It has gone viral. This one tweet that I'm looking at has well over 100,000 likes and retweets of a soundbite at a conference in Austin, Texas. The Texas Tribune has this Ideas Festival, and a lot of politicians and political figures and personalities were traipsing through this conference over the course of the weekend, one of whom was Pete Buttigieg, who is apparently the transportation secretary in the Biden administration. If you're not familiar with Pete, here's the basic story. He was mayor of a small city in Indiana, then decided he wanted to run for statewide office in Indiana. He failed. He lost by a lot. Then he decided he wanted to run the Democratic National Committee, ran for the chairman position, lost. And then it was time for him, in his mind, to be president. So he ran for president. That also didn't end well for him, although he did, given his record, he did perform relatively well overall. He then, because of that presidential run, get included in President Biden's presidential cabinet as transportation secretary. It's been an interesting portfolio for him based on his expertise. There have been some real problems on this front. I'm not really sure what sort of job he's doing because it appears that he spends a lot of his time at these types of events pontificating and telling a certain type of liberal exactly what they like to hear in soothing, smooth sound bites. He's very good at that. By the way, for his political future, which I think he has spent a lot of time plotting since he was in the womb, perhaps, he has realized that Indiana might be a dead end for him, so they have now moved to Michigan. So if you're a Democratic senator in Michigan, be careful. I think that there's someone who might want your job sooner or later. That might be the next hopscotch stop along the way for Pete Buttigieg. Who knows? But here's the transportation secretary. At this event in Texas, and he was asked about the border crisis, but specifically these Republican governors sending illegal immigrants to blue sanctuary jurisdictions. And he decided to focus in on Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. I think he looks at DeSantis and sees someone as perhaps a future rival of his, because obviously this is a man who has every intention of running for president again. He sees DeSantis as a rising person on the other side of the aisle. Of course, DeSantis has won a statewide election and made consequential governing decisions, which I'm not really sure we've seen very much from Secretary Pete. That being said, and nevertheless, Buttigieg decided that he was going to focus his critique on DeSantis, and boy, lefties are going crazy for it. They love it. The tweet that I'm looking at right here is captioned. It's from one of these resistance Twitter accounts. When Pete Buttigieg comes for someone, he doesn't carry a sledgehammer. He wields a scalpel. And in this must-see clip, Pete slices Ron DeSantis into a million little pieces. Whoa. 
well, that sounds pretty dramatic. Let's see how this went. I'd like to react. I have a few thoughts. Starting with cut 17. Obviously, there are issues with the border and with migration. But these are the kinds of stunts you see from people who don't have a solution. Like, where have these leaked? Governor DeSantis was in Congress. Where was he when they were debating immigration reform? What have any of these people done to be part of the solution? So, you know, I get if you're after attention. It's one thing to call attention to a problem. When you have a course of action, as, as some of the folks here speaking up about an issue, exercising their First Amendment rights have done, or in, in elected office. It's another to just call attention to a problem because the problem is actually more useful to you than the solution, and that helps you call attention to yourself. That's what's going on. So I think Pete knows a thing or two about attention-seeking and ambition, but that's what he is putting on Governor DeSantis here and saying that is what the Florida governor has been up to. Now, of course, there's also Greg Abbott in Texas who pioneered this whole thing, Doug Ducey also getting on board in Arizona, and Buttigieg went on in the same answer and cut 18. Listen here. The problem, of course, it's one thing if that was just people being obnoxious, but human beings are being impacted by that. You flee a communist regime in Venezuela, you come here, and then somebody tricks you, somebody using Florida taxpayer money for some reason, tricks you into going from Texas to Massachusetts. It's, it's, it's not just ineffectual. It is hurting people in order to get attention. Okay. I don't know how it hurts someone to fly them to Martha's Vineyard when they've agreed to go there and signed a waiver to that effect. When they were found homeless on the streets in overwhelmed border communities in Texas, you put them in a hotel, you got them a shower, you gave them three square meals and got them to one of the nicest places in the country that calls itself a sanctuary jurisdiction. I guess that's cruel and harmful to people. That's the Pete Buttigieg spin on this, although that's what they're all saying, right? This has been their talking point here for days. Now, there's a few things that stand out to me as I listen to the entirety of that answer. And I listed a few of them on Twitter last night because I was interested to see what Pete was going to have to say about DeSantis. I'll say this, Buttigieg, when he ran for president, he had people sometimes attacking him unfairly for various reasons, including that he's gay, and there was some innuendo and ugliness about that from both sides. And as someone who's also roughly his age, I think a little younger, but also gay— and somewhat in the spotlight, I would stick up for him when I thought he was being treated unfairly or in a wrong way. He also seems reasonably bright. He seems friendly enough. But I think in some ways he is really overrated. And to have this answer that we just heard pumped up as this brilliant dissection of Ron DeSantis, I'm just not seeing that at all. And I think DeSantis would welcome that debate. In fact, by doing what DeSantis did with Martha's Vineyard and that whole admittedly stunt, the point was to raise this debate and force this debate that a lot of people wouldn't touch, wouldn't talk about, didn't want to even recognize or acknowledge was happening, including a lot of people inside the Biden administration. And it's not like DeSantis is uh, some fool out there who says, oh, yeah, let me not think this through. Let's do the thing and force a debate. And then when the debate arrives, he doesn't know his stuff. 
DeSantis knows his stuff. And I think that if, for whatever reason, he ended up on a debate stage with Pete Buttigieg, I don't think it would go as well for Pete as a lot of his acolytes and sycophants seem to think it would. Point one I would make here is that governors can only do so much on immigration policy. This is a federal issue. When governors have tried to get tougher at the border, they're often challenged by the federal government when it's run by Democrats, so they can't do that. Their hands are tied. This is national sovereignty. It's the job of the federal government. The federal government and this administration, his administration that he's serving in, Buttigieg, under Biden, they are the ones responsible for this. They are the ones who are failing. They are the ones whose policies are creating this huge problem. And it's not just a small problem. This is historic, the failure. We've gone through this over and over again. They are blowing out records. Two million people captured at the border this year alone. A million, roughly a million gotaways under Biden. Known gotaways. It's totally out of control. Another month, an eighth month with 200,000 or more encounters at the border in August. Those are the numbers. That's the math. Lashing out at Ron DeSantis or Greg Abbott or anyone else is a deflection away from the people who are actually responsible for this. And those are the people in the Biden administration, period. Now, he says, oh, they're all being you know, tricked to go here and it's cruel and it's, it's harming people. I quibbled with that. I made my points on that front as well. Also, I, it seemed like his central argument from Buttigieg was that DeSantis and Abbott offer no solutions on any of this. I said, this is a stunt that you would see from someone who wants attention but has no solutions. Except if DeSantis were sitting there on stage, DeSantis could rattle off, I would guess, off the top of his head, half a dozen solutions that he and other Republicans have been demanding, begging the administration to consider. Like, if you just look at where the Trump administration had this issue in about 2019, where they got a handle on the problem with a whole suite of policies, it wasn't perfect, but it was a hell of a lot better and more functional and less messy than what we have right now. The problem was a fraction of what it has exploded to under this president. The Remain in Mexico policy was working, which has been undermined and effectively abandoned by Biden. The safe third-party country agreement with the Northern Triangles uh, nations, right? That was a part of the policy as well. Expulsions under Title 42 that the Biden administration have now ended because they say the pandemic's over except when it's not. Those are three easy ones. Then you can get into some enforcement plans that Republicans have been asking for and proposing for years that have been fought tooth and nail and rejected and blocked in Congress every step of the way. It is not true that Republicans don't have ideas when it comes to this border crisis. They have many ideas on the broader issue of immigration and in this crisis in particular. I think it is interesting for Buttigieg to demand all these answers, all these solutions to a problem that his team created. They made the mess. And now he's saying, look at these people over here. They've got no solutions for the problem that we created. Except even that isn't true. They do have solutions. They do have ideas. The Democrats just reject them. You can say your 
enforcement-first policies are unfair and mean-spirited and xenophobic and racist and all the words that they always use. You can say that Trump was awful and none of his ideas were good, so we had to reflexively get rid of all of it, even though some of it was succeeding, actually. What you can't do is say that none of those ideas even exist. Have the honesty to say they have ideas. We don't like them. We have our own ideas. Which approach do you prefer, America? I know what the results are telling me. But this is, I think, this less than honest approach and this tick that Buttigieg has, especially in this answer pretending like solutions and ideas that absolutely exist that he just doesn't like don't exist at all. So you just have these sort of myopic, nihilistic Republicans doing something and they have no other ideas in their head. This is wrong. Now he says, where was DeSantis when he was in Congress? Well, he was fighting for things and the Freedom Caucus and the House you know, Republican Study Committee, these conservatives, they put all sorts of bills out there. Buttigieg and his ilk were against all of them. You can say they were wrong. You can't say that they weren't there. I've pointed out before, I'm kind of a squish on immigration, or at least I have been in the past. Dream Act, I was open to that. I still am. Some path to legal status for a lot of the people who have been here for quite a long time was open to that. But as I've said now more recently, all of that stops. Not a single inch should be conceded on this until we get actual enforcement. That's the crux of the problem right now. And by the way, last but not least on this, and I'll probably continue in the next segment, the official position of the Democratic Party and the Biden White House is that the border is secure. They tell us that every day, over and over again. It's a lie. It is a demonstrable, insulting lie. And Buttigieg seems to be offended that Republicans have the audacity and the gall to highlight that lie. If Buttigieg agrees with the lie, if he's going to repeat it, that the border is secure, then it is 100% legitimate for DeSantis or Abbott or anyone else to shine a bright spotlight on the lie every single day using virtually any means necessary, including this. Does Pete endorse that line? Is the border secure? Yes or no? He might have to poll test that one for 2024 before he answers. I'll pick this up right after a short break. Responding to Pete Buttigieg. Here as we get going on The Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned. You're listening to the best of Guy Benson. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. And I'm just replying to this viral clip from Pete Buttigieg over the weekend going after Governor DeSantis and this migrants issue. It's interesting that he raises communism and people fleeing communism and basically saying these Republicans are hypocrites. They talk about communism, but here they are playing politics with these people's lives as they're trying to leave, in this case, Venezuela. I would love to hear Buttigieg try to explain why refugees from communist countries who move to the United States, ultimately overwhelmingly vote Republican as opposed opposed to his party. I wonder why that might be. But I think this is also a distortive argument on his part. 
because while some of the migrants involved in this recent series of controversies have come from places like Venezuela and Cuba, they're a tiny fraction of the overall problem. Millions of people who have crossed the border illegally since Biden took office, millions of them. Could be four or five million in total. And to try to pretend like what this is about is people fleeing communism and the Republicans refusing to accommodate them and to welcome them into America, I think that that is a fairly cheap, politically expedient talking point that does not reflect the broader crisis for which, as I'll say again, they are responsible and they have no answers. Hence, all the attacks against these Republicans for doing anything about it or drawing attention to it. Also interesting how all these presidential aspirants and wannabes on the Democratic side, they all seem pretty interested in picking a fight with Ron DeSantis. Isn't that telling? Whether it's Gavin Newsom or Pete Buttigieg. Edge, edge, Buttigieg. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He was born in Saudi Arabia, which is why we call him our little prince. His last job was as a mannequin for J. Crew. He's got the face of an eighth grader in his glove compartment. He's on our list of 40 under 40 who look like they're 14. He's like Peter Pan. He doesn't age and will never marry a woman. He has the face of your nephew and the politics of your dad. Host of the Guy Benson Show and Fox News contributor Guy Benson. Those are priceless. <laughs> we are back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast always free. That was just a sampling of some of the generous introductions I received on the new-ish show of my next guest making his debut mm. on the Guy Benson Show. He is the littlest host with the tallest ratings. Uh. Co-host of The Five and the new king of late night. That is true. That Greg is true. Greg Gottfeld, it is great to see you in studio. I am so happy to be here. And it's just, I, I, I can't believe this is my first time just with you. Yeah. You know, but. Uh, well, um, in this context. In this context, exactly. We won't get into the other context because it's filthy. But uh, yeah, it's great. Huh? I love those introductions. When you put, when you, t- when you pile them on each other. Yes. That's how it works. It's a long game. People don't understand that. It's a long game. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to have them all, like, so it's one person, and it's just relentless. I had forgotten about the one. He has the face of an eighth grader in his glove compartment. That I, was a dark, I, dark intro. I, I, I think I wrote the second part of that, uh, glove compartment. So I, how do these get written? Well, it, it started, I mean, it was obviously started at Red Eye, um, and it was my idea because a friend of mine's band, I had seen a friend of mine's band, and they introduced all the members, like, He's six foot five, runs like a deer, playing drums, Dave Lombardo. And I'd be like, I should do that with my guests. And then I got so obsessed with it. I mean, I would write them and then other guests who loved them, like Alison Rosen wrote thousands of them. And she wasn't even working for me. Uh, I think I can't remember if Andy and Bill wrote some. They might have. They probably did. But it was like, yeah, I, I'm sure we did like a round robin thing. I, like, like, it's kind of like how you do magazine captions. 
where you take a you just you, you it goes around the staff like a picture of something and people write on it that's how we did it and that started on red eye red eye yeah and it's the hardest thing uh people get re- it's very hard to do tyrus and cat cuz you're doing it every day right but it's easy to do you cuz you're on like once every 2 weeks but um it's nobody else does it and it's just like something that i can't i i don't i can't settle on just saying hey we're here with Dana Perino it's got to have something right. else does anyone ever get upset um, some people might get shocked if I if I if it appears that I might cross a line, or if you they, would never yes, do such a thing, they, or if they think that I'm making fun of them. But I never do. I don't think I ever do. Maybe maybe 15 years ago on Red Eye, there might have been a person or 14 years like that was like never seen the show before and was like, "What the hell's going on?" But I, I think it's like we've been, you know, everybody knows what's going on on that show now. Like it's people all, get it. Yeah, it's all teasing. It's all ridicule. It's all like getting under people's skin, and it's like it is like a nightly roast. And people don't, people don't. I don't think people understood where it was going until it happened. And I told, I told Tyrus and Cat that it was like when we're here every day, it's going to just morph into a roast because that's the way. Red, that's how Red Eye, Red Eye became just an, an insult factory, you know. And it's like the best part. If you can't insult somebody, you don't like them. That's a fa- fact. If you sit, if you sit, if you see me next to somebody and I can't make fun of them, it's because I, I honestly am well, not interested. Then you must really like Brian <laughs> Stelter because <laughs> those jokes happen all the time. I will just say, in terms of the support and the fandom of this show, not to blow smoke, you know this, but in the last couple weeks, I was talking to one friend of mine who's in his mid twenties in Colorado. He watches almost every night. He'll occasionally engage in some Colorado-type behavior and then tune in. Yes, who Loves wouldn't? It. Who yes. wouldn't? And then I was just in Georgia over the weekend, and I was at a dinner party with a bunch of retirees who watch every single night, and they freaked out when I mentioned, you guys should come to New York and be in the audience. They're like, we're, go- we're going to come. Ah. They're huge fans. How would you talk about and sort of explain to people who maybe have heard about the show, haven't tuned in, why has it been so successful? Because you went from a show that didn't exist not long ago to beating all of these mm-hmm. long-tenured on-air comedians who have staffs of dozens of people and yeah. millions of dollars of yes. network TV money behind them. You're beating all of them. That upsets me. The amount of money and support they have just blows my mind, but I'll get over it soon, I hope. But uh, <laughs> I, okay, number one, the, the key to the success, too, would, would, there was a hole there that needed to be filled. We knew it. You could tell. Was I ready for it? I wasn't sure. We talked about it for a while, and I didn't want to do it because I felt I wasn't ready or I didn't want the hassle. I was already doing a weekly show and the five. I was exhausted. But how much more work would this be? You know, I, I, I've said this. I told Tucker this uh, you know, on Tucker's show that I actually called Tucker, and Tucker convinced me to do it. Um, and so – the now the, the if I was describing the show to somebody, it's a good mood. There's like no, it's 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 a good mood where you're with your friends and you're just making fun of each other. Uh, there is politics. You're gonna. You're, I'm not a liberal, but I'm also the, almost all of the insults are directed at the host. Like I I call myself out constantly for being a complete idiot, and I think that's disarming to uh, people who might not like Fox to see. My God, this guy actually has a certain kind of uh, – uh, he can see himself, you know? He's not like, you know, he, I don't take myself seriously. No, you don't get mad because people – the question I get all the time after I do your show is, does Greg ever get upset with you when you make fun of him? I'm like, no, that's the whole point. Yeah, no, I 
there's there, I never get happier than when somebody rips me because that means it's like a it's a group it, we're a group and that's the best part that's why I mean I love like red eye with Andy just would insult me constantly and and I would insult Bill and it would just be this constant back and forth it's just a, that's just the way people it's it's a disarming way of communication takes the edge off politics social problems yep and the show gets less political as it goes yeah right? like a, a and b block there's a lot of politics and then it's off to nonsense land yeah, for a yeah. while we call it what is it we, what's the haircut the uh it's got the party in the back serious up front party oh, a, mullet. a mullet it's a news mullet so it's serious <laughs> up front party in the back but the mullet keeps growing more and more and the serious stuff gets you get bald so now it's, it's receding all, hairline receding hairline oh. so it's all bald <laughs> It's all like you know when you see when you see Jesse without his toupee, oh. and it's just like disgusting. It's a little water shot there. <laughs> He's very sensitive about that. I know. Well, you know, it's like you know, own it, Jesse. And he, he does not have a toupee. For the record, as a fact check, here's the other thing about the space. It's a hair system. <laughs> the hair system <laughs> is something that he can comment on, perhaps when he comes if he comes back on the show. He's a very busy man. These oh days. yeah, apparently he's so. got two shows. Yeah, but. The space that you play in, sort of like this sandbox of late-night TV, I think part of the reason that Gottfeld has been successful, aside from you and the team and Cat and the, what, a, mm-hmm. what a cool group, the rest of the landscape is so boring. Mm-hmm. They are all the same in so many ways. They are predictable. They either are terrified to make a joke about Democrats or they are just a Democratic super PAC, mm-hmm. and it's like – People haven't learned the lesson of Fox News for 25 years that people might want something a little bit different sometimes. You know who they listen to only? Their publicist. That's the the least humored person on the planet. (laughs) He's a publicist. Yeah, because I worked in magazines and I had to deal with them. You know, people representing celebrities, they'll scare the crap out of you. They'll 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 blackmail you with like you'll never see have this person on your show. And I represent all these other people that freaks that freaks these the producers out, so they got to be nice, and they get these celebrities on that are actually really fun to look at. But when they open their mouths, it's like, okay, I've seen enough. Turn the channel. And the celebrities are a great advertising, you know, uh, uh, morsel. So that works. Right. But you, other than they, that, it's 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 we make our own celebs. They're like, we have bad, uh, we have Brad Pitt tonight. You're like, up tonight, Guy Benson. Yes. It's like I can't compete with that. Oh, uh, you're more you, fun. You're you're our you're our Brad Pitt. Well. Let's you put know. that in my intro tomorrow. I'm on the show tomorrow. Our <laughs> Brad Pitt. Let's write By it the way, down. You get, that tomorrow's show is going to be great. Got Harlan Williams. I've been trying to get Harlan Williams forever. He's so funny. Pretend you know him. So that's tomorrow night, yes. 11 p.m. Eastern, along with, I mean, every night, 11 p.m. Eastern. It's Gutfeld on Fox News Channel. I want to break real quick, Greg. Yes. Because when we come back, we have a quasi-surprise guest, a special mm. guest, a blast from the past that oh. we want to ask about you, your oh, favorite topic. Barry Bonds? Uh we couldn't get him. This Tom, is, um, uh, what's the, the Tom? What's the guy? The quarterback? No, Tom Brady. Tom Brady. No, so yeah, you're clearly very close. We're with all Tom. went to Sarah together. Um, okay, no, Greg Jeffries, Lynn Swan. Was it Lynn Swan? Fifth on the depth chart. We're going to take that break before he keeps rambling, just like <laughs> rattling off names. Greg Gutfeld in studio with me here in New York. That it's the Sarah. Guy Benson Show. You can clear the table later. Right now, just sit back and relax. Happy Thanksgiving from the Guy Benson Show. We're back. It's the Guy Benson Show from New York. Greg Gutfeld here with me in studio, and we are now going to bring in a first-time guest on the program as well. It's Greg's first time, and now let's welcome in 
Jody Penner. She's an experienced nonprofit executive, mother of four, longtime friend of Greg Gutfeld since high school. Right. I met her recently in California. Yeah. She has many stories, apparently. And Jody, it's great to have you here. Hi, Guy. Thank you for having me on. So I just discovered that Greg played football in high school and he was a linebacker. Yes. You probably don't remember that, Jody, but I was. No. Yeah, I remember you playing hearts in the stands is what I remember. <laughs> yes, that's true. I did play hearts. But uh, I did play, play football freshman year. You didn't know me then because, you know, girls didn't know freshmen, right? Yeah, so, like, no. I didn't exist. When did you first discover me? Was when it, when, when you were dating uh, uh, Johnny Giacomini? <laughs> Maybe. I actually think it had to do with um, my other friend who had a huge crush on you. So oh, my God, we that's right. That and yeah. then she gossiped. She told some gossip at the supermarket. <laughs> And that got me in so much trouble because I told her about some gossip, right? I don't, it's something like that. Yeah. Yes, and then yeah. it got to the, the manager of the supermarket, and then I never spoke to her again, and she was very sad. She wanted to take me to the prom, but I went with something. some other girl to the prom. Do you even remember your prom date's name? Yeah, Stephanie Von Stein. Oh, that's Do you remember the Von Steins? Oh, yeah. No, you were pretty obsessed with her. <laughs> She, I ran into her on the street like 20 years ago, and she was going jogging in New York, and she had a gun. That was interesting <laughs> to me. But was anyway, she, everybody's gotten old but me. Was she, was she glad that she had a gun when yeah, you ran into her? Weird. We like ran into each other. It was so funny. I don't know what. We ran into each other on the street. But anyway, I hi, here's the story. Next to me is my assistant, Elle, who is Jody's daughter. So isn't so, that funny? Jody, you have entrusted your daughter to Greg Gutfeld and his show. Is this Good parenting. Well, it, it was it was a tough decision. It was a tough call. So, uh, but actually, we he she wouldn't really be here if it wasn't for him. Since Greg introduced me to my husband. So. Oh, I'm I'm, gl- I'm glad you finished that sentence because I thought we we were just going to get a big bombshell reveal. That's like, right. This is not the Maury Povich show, to my knowledge. Well, Wait, hang on. So, look, so as Greg, far as I know, as far as I know, I'm not sure. <laughs> so Greg introduced you to your husband. Wait, how did that happen? Hmm. Do you want to tell the story, Greg? I'm. I'm trying to re- – where were we? Were you in San Francisco? We, yes. Yes. Yeah. Was it a yeah, Halloween? It was Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Up, Close enough. You were with your mom. Yeah. Was I? Where and was I? Where were you? Well, you came to my apartment, and then you were a bunch of your guys and a bunch of my gals. We all met at um, oh my Bus God. Stop. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Now yeah. I remember. That's how you met Buzz. So, yeah. so I have to ask you, Jody – you knew Greg in high school. You did not remember that he played football. A lot of ankle tackles, I think, from his position at linebacker. <laughs> How was he in high school and college? Like, is he the same? Like, you just turn on TV and you're like, yep, that's the guy I knew. Or has he changed? No, absolutely. He's, he's exactly the same. He just changed some of his jokes. There's no more throw babies as throw pillows jokes. And he's moved on from that. So. Oh, no. Did I use that one a lot? Wow. Yes. Yes, yes you did. <laughs> I had a tendency to, to say the same things over and over and over again. I still do. If you watch I the like five. I like the news mullet, though. <laughs> Ironically, it's the name of my new band. So. <laughs> news oh, mullet. yeah, you heard news mullet. You yeah. know, um, but I have, to credit, I have to credit Jody because she was one of the few people who actually laughed at me. If I remember, uh, you, and, you, and you, you and your friends would come over to my house and talk to my mother. Do you remember that? Uh, I think we did it once or twice. Yeah. yeah. No, she, your mom's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Great that's... woman. Amazing woman. But she yeah. was a chick magnet. She got you guys over to my house. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but yeah, you would. You, so she was. And then we went and we did a formal. We went to a formal at UCLA. That was hilarious. That was at UCLA. I always think how we actually managed to 
make those plans since there were no cell phones? I know. How did that come together? I have no like, idea. Yeah, like landlines or like carrier pigeons. I, had How pay, this... I there was a payphone at the fraternity. I must have called her like a month before. She goes, "Hey, do you want to go to this formal? I, you can go with this girl, and then I'm going to go with." And then I go, "Okay." And then like we didn't yeah. like bother to check up, and I just we just show tripped in a crappy car, got down there with tuxes. Oh man, yeah. it was it was horrible. Do you remember throwing those that guy's shoes out the car window? Oh my god, I forgot about that. Why do you remind me of these things? Um, yeah, <laughs> that was her date. Her date was probably, a real slime ball. He probably I didn't. Yeah, walk, go, bye. I her, don't know. <laughs> her date wanted to hook up with my date, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. that's right. And then and I told you, he came up to me yep. and asked if we could switch, and I told you. <laughs> And then I, because I was so pissed off at him, and then we, and so we found his shoes in the backseat of your car, and we threw them out, or our car. I don't know why yeah. they were there, and we threw them out on the 405. Yeah, I think that sounds about like my attitude. Jody, yes. <laughs> since Greg brought up the topic of hooking up, I heard allegedly that mm-hmm. when you would bring some of your like gal friends to hang out with Greg, he had a tendency of finding them to be rather interesting and, and, Amassed quite, I think the kids call it a body count uh, among your friends. Is that right? That 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 sounds about right. It was more when we were in post post college in yes. our early work years, um, and he'd come visit me in New York. And oftentimes there was a friend that we were all going out, or even back when I was back in San Francisco, going out. And somehow or another, yeah, it, there was always a hookup involved, right? Yes, Greg? there was. You were yeah. like you were my wingman before I even I, knew what I didn't a wingman mean to be. was. <laughs> It did get awkward though because you had a studio apartment. Oh no! <laughs> and you and you were like she is kindly hosting you. Yeah, in Brooklyn, studio apartment in Brooklyn. I remember. Well, I remember some awkward, awkward moments. Your daughter's right to my right, so I don't know how <laughs> far I can get into this, except to say that you moved to the floor. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was the, that was such a good subtle. host of you. To uh, very move to subtle. The floor. But uh, yeah, we had some good times. We had a, we had yeah. some great. We were, you took me to some great bars. One of the bars burned down. The, it was yeah. a great bar. Quit Squidleys, yeah. Quibbleys. Yeah. Well, they rebuilt it, I think. Oh, um, did they? Yeah. Uh, oh gosh, no, I'm sorry. It's okay. I can't think of it right now. But yeah, and it, was like a, it was an old. It was. <laughs> it was an old speakeasy, right? In the yes. middle of that building, kind of. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I also was informed that there was a Vegas trip, and I shudder. To ask about it, but I'm going to anyway, with a reminder that this is all, you know, live national radio. Jody, what is a weekend in Vegas with Greg Gutfeld like? Yeah, and again, this was this was during college, so a bunch of my friends drove up from L.A., and a bunch of his friends flew in from Cal. I don't know how we organized that and stayed. Were we in, like, one room? Yes. At, like, a Motel 6. There was oh. so many of us. Yes. Um, so it wasn't, like cool vegas it was like 18 year olds in vegas it was you know i it was like trying to it was like you were going to go down to the blackjack table and you had five dollars we were trying to find like is there like a dollar table or something um a lot of free drinks going on though and and some all you can eat buffet because they feed you drinks so you keep gambling we have like 30 seconds jody knowing everything that you know about greg through your life are you surprised at his success I'm not surprised. He was always super bright and funny, and um, I think he just took him a, his path was a little long. But I remember when um, John Stewart had that show on uh, MTV. I thought that should be Greg. Greg would be better at that. Well, and, and here uh, we are, a couple yeah. of years later. Yes. Jody Penner, longtime friend mm-hmm. of Greg Gutfeld, 
Her daughter is Greg's assistant. Say it's hello. amazing here in Fox World. I think her mic's off, but we're waving to her. <laughs> Greg Gutfeld, the five every day. Gutfeld at 11 p.m. on Fox News Channel. Great to see you. Let's do it again. Same here, man. Greg Gutfeld, our guest. Another hour of The Guy Benson Show is straight ahead. You're listening to the best of Guy Benson. From the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. You're listening to the best of Guy Benson. All right, so if you're just tuning in, we teased this at the end of last hour. Here's what we're going to do. Very rare on this show. I'm not sure we've ever done it before, actually. We are going to take your phone calls for the next hour because at some point all the talking heads and all the predictions you know they become irrelevant they become obsolete in a matter of hours i want to hear from you about what you did in terms of voting personally where are you who'd you vote for how did you vote like when was it early today later what's the plan and why did you vote the way that you voted It's a very straightforward question. Your voting experience, your voting story and rationale this year, 2022, midterm elections, why? And our phone number here is 833-456-1300. toll-free connection here to the show. From what I understand, all of our phone lines are packed. So keep trying. You'll get through eventually, we hope, and we're going to try to get to as many of you as possible all across the country. I think it's interesting. I think it's a fun tradition. We've done this before, but it's not for the full hour. But I think we're all sort of like waiting for the outcomes to finally trickle out like real numbers. And in the meantime, let's just talk. All right? 833-456-1300. Oh, boy, the line's just lighting up. Let's begin with Brittany calling from Georgia, listening on our great affiliate, 106.3 Extra in Atlanta. Brittany, I'm glad you called. Welcome. Hey, Guy. Um, Yes, I am in Kennesaw, Georgia. I am an Election Day voter, and I voted for Governor Kemp, who's the best governor in America, and Herschel Walker. I went to his rally last night. Um, He just really impressed me. I think he's going to do great in the Senate, and I just hope for no runoff can't handle any more of these awful commercials (laughs) (laughs) so can i ask you if you went to his rally the herschel rally last night was it just him did he have any other like major names with him what stood out to you um lindsey graham was there uh dr ben carson was there i got to shake his hand and talk to him for a minute i also met the infamous clay travis who i also listened to (laughs) on 106.3 um everyone was um very accessible Herschel shook every hand. He took every picture. Um, He was well articulate. Um, He had so many great things to say. I was just so excited to meet him. I got to meet Governor Kemp um, last week, and I will say the access to the candidates for just a normal person like me has been amazing this year. I've I've really enjoyed it. Last question quickly, Brittany. What was it like at the polling place? Was it packed? Did you have to wait in line? Was your vote suppressed? Was there any Jim Crow? 
There was no Jim Crow. <laughs> I was in and out in less than 10 minutes this morning around 7.30 a.m. So All right. my vote got in today, and I am very excited to see the results tonight. And it's a great honor to speak with you, Guy. I listen to you every day. Well, that is so kind of you. Thank you for listening down there in Georgia. Obviously, your state matters a lot. Hopefully, we won't have to talk about it until December 6th, if there's no runoff, and that's entirely possible. We'll be watching. Brittany in Georgia, thank you. Let's see. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Where are you? How did you vote? Who did you vote for? Why? Let's go out to Arizona, another crucial state. Kelly is up next on the Guy Benson Show. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Guy. How are you? I'm very well. All right. What's your story? I'm voting in Wickenburg, Arizona, voting for Carrie Lake and Blake Masters. Uh, I will be. I went this morning. The systems were down. I put in my ballot eight to ten times. It kept kicking it out. Whoa. Same with my husband. He went a little earlier than I did. He left his ballot there for them to take in to uh, Phoenix tonight. I gave them my ballot back and will be going back this afternoon. Wow. Okay. So I would assume, and forgive me on my Arizona geography, you are in Maricopa County? I am. Okay. We, and are, so, we are north and west of Phoenix. And you showed up bright and early. You went to vote, and it was spitting it back at you. What did the poll workers tell you at that point as you kept trying and it kept failing? Well, there was a, there were a number of us. There were probably 12 to 15 people standing waiting to be able to put their ballot in. Another girl walked up to the other machine. It kept doing the same thing while they were taking the other machine apart to clean it and put it back together. Um, but they, it just kept, kept – one, one person while I was there had one, – one ballot did go in and come and stay in. Interesting. Okay, and so your husband and my understanding is they're telling people if they want their ballots to count, they can put them in these sort of lock boxes under lock and key, representatives of both campaigns watching it, then they'll count it by hand. Your husband decided to do that, but you're w- waiting for them to what, like iron out all the kinks? You're going to go back and try again? Yes, sir. Okay, please do that. Don't be discouraged. Please do that for sure because whatever's happening out there, every single vote needs to count. Your vote needs to count. Uh, so it sounds like you're pretty determined, though. I don't think I need to tell you to do it twice. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Kelly. Good luck out there. That See, that is wild. That is a wild thing. How embarrassing for that state. Who's in charge of the elections? Oh, that's right. Katie Hobbs, the secretary of state in Arizona, on the ballot for governor. She barely shows up for work, was barely in the office ever. She was out wanting a promotion. This is her job. And look what's happening. I don't think Kelly that we just spoke to is going to be deterred. I hope very few people are. She's back at it, trying again. That is perseverance. We love it. 833-456-1300. You shouldn't have to persevere, by the way. You should just show up, boop, and you're done. That's how it should work. 833-456-1300. Where do you live? Who are you voting for? Why? 833-456-1300. Let's see. Florida. Tim, you are up next. Hi, Tim. Guy, love this show. Big fan. Oh, thank you. Calling from the free state of Florida. I voted early. I voted by mail. I voted for DeSantis and Rubio. The red tsunami is coming. I listen to Clay and Buck, too. I love all you guys. Great. Well, 
that that means a lot. Thank you for listening every day. I do have to ask you, what part of the state of Florida do you live in? Like, what region? Central Florida, Brevard County, uh, Cocoa, uh, Cocoa, Melbourne area. So, you know, I opened the show, I don't know if you were listening last hour, talking about some of the indications that we're seeing in your state today that are just like mind-blowing how big the red wave might get in Florida. That's at least what some of the data is saying. Based on what you're seeing, your friends, your family, or whatever, like what has your experience been this cycle? What are you hearing? In this county here, it's a red wave for sure. There, There is no doubt about it. Uh, you know, I can't speak for South Florida or, or anywhere else, but in, in, the, in the central part of the state on the coast, it's going to be all Republican. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, Tim, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And I suspect that Florida is going to be an early call tonight in a way that is going to blow some minds. Tim, appreciate it. 833-456-1300, our toll-free telephone number here at the Guy Benson Show. And it's a tradition, taking your calls, very simple. What's your deal on voting? Who'd you vote for? Why? Where are you? I'm just curious. And as we all wait for the data to come in, let's have this conversation. I think it's really sort of fun and it's exciting. This is democracy at work. It's not a bunch of statistics. Of course, they all get tabulated into these big numbers, but each person has their own story. And I want to hear some of your stories. 833-456-1300. Let's go to Missouri. Jackie up next. Hello, Jackie. Hi. Hi there. I'm calling from Springfield, Missouri, which is in the southwest part of the state. I voted about an hour ago. I work at home. I have the luxury to just kind of cut out. It was very easy, didn't wait, in and out, very fast. Um, For the first time ever, and I'm almost 60, I voted straight Republican down the line. I will occasionally vote for an independent or a libertarian or sometimes if I don't like either can't, you know, I won't vote for anybody if I don't like them. But I couldn't take a chance this year. <laughs> yeah. So what, what was the difference? Like you said, you've you've been voting, it sounds like, for decades in elections. You're someone who cares. You, you find, you know, you find out about these candidates. You make decisions for the first time ever. You just went boom, 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 down the line, straight ticket Republican. Why? Straight R. Because I can't afford to. I don't think we have any split vote potentials in Missouri, because I listen to you every day, and I think if there was one, you would tell me, but I didn't want to take a chance, and yeah, it is no, I look, very I much hear you. <laughs> not happy, Not and I almost, I really didn't want to vote for Eric Schmidt, because I'd like to keep him as our attorney general, but I did anyway. Yeah, and they need him in the U.S. Senate, so uh, you did the right thing there, and I think your overall analysis of your state, which was red to begin with, I think it'll be even redder, and you were part of what could be a big red wave, Jackie, out there in Missouri. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. Listening through Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. That's our partner out there. Appreciate it, Jackie. Good call. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Ooh, this is interesting. Let's go to Green Bay, Wisconsin. A couple of big races in Wisconsin, the Badger State. Laura, glad you called. Hello. Hello, Guy. Love your show. Thank you. I voted, uh, actually early voted last week um, as we were traveling down to Illinois, and we're just currently driving back from Illinois to Green Bay. So I voted for uh, Michael 
Tim Michaels and Johnson, Ron Johnson. Um, I just feel we need to have some some sense of business professionals and, and people that know really how to run a country and run a state as a, as a business. And those are both business guys, Johnson and Michaels. Yeah. And it seems like, and you can tell me, Laura, what you're seeing on the ground there. Because you might recall a, a few weeks ago, I was in Wisconsin giving a talk, spoke to a lot of people in your state, and they felt like, Ron Johnson was probably going to be okay, was probably going to win by a couple of points, but the governor's race was razor thin, could go either direction. And the polling kind of points in that same direction. It seems like Governor Evers might be vulnerable. He might go down tonight, but it's, you know, teetering right there. What do you think? Um, I agree. I think it's going to be a very close race. Um, I just hope that uh, that Michaels is able to come out on top of that. Um, I just think Wisconsin needs a little bit of a change, um, and hopefully that'll happen today. All right. Well, Laura in Wisconsin, really appreciate you being out there. Good call. 833-456-1300. The lines are still going nuts. So we're going to get to even more of your phone calls. Nothing but your calls this whole hour. 833-456-1300. Let's have this conversation. Let's talk about your practice of democracy today, whether it was an early vote, whether it was an in-person vote today. What's your story? Where are you living? Who did you vote for? Why did you vote for them? Call us. Tell us if you're comfortable. All across the country. Swing state, safe state, whatever. We want to hear from you. 833-456-1300. Many more of your phone calls straight ahead on The Guy Benson Show. You're listening to the best of Guy Benson. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. If you're listening on the live broadcast, I believe that is Anchors Away, the official song of the United States Navy. We're talking about waves today, so maybe that's appropriate. 833-456-1300. That's our phone number here. Taking your calls for the entire hour. On Election Day, we've got nothing better to do. All the pundits are pundited out. Trust me. We want to hear from you. What did you do today or in the days leading up to this election with your vote? Where do you live? Who'd you cast your ballots for? Why? We want to know. 833-456-1300. Jammed lines. Let's get back to the calls. Eric is in Oregon listening on the Fox News app. Hello, Eric. Hello. Hello from beautiful uh, Oregon coast. Um, I voted for uh, Christine Drazen for governor. Okay. And what do you think of that race? Because she was ahead by a point or two in a lot of polls, but it seems like the Democrat might be pulling ahead. That is such a blue state. It seems like some of the voters out there are gluttons for punishment. There's also some really important House races as well, if I'm not mistaken, out there in Oregon. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, so unfortunately, Portland really dictates what the rest of the state does. Um, what you see in Portland is not what the rest of the state actually looks like. Um, however, um, I was really happy to see uh, Betsy Johnson get in the race because um, she was siphoning off some votes and neutralizing uh, Portland and actually allowing the rest of the people in the state to have a say. So I was a little disappointed to hear that some of those people are, are falling back to Kotech because Kotech as governor just frightens me. Her and Governor Brown has just decimated the state. And the transient problem that we have, um, little communities like I live in on the coast um, and in central Oregon, small communities, they ha- they can't do anything about uh, the issue. The state ties their hands. I have a good friend who's a um, uh, state police officer, and he says they basically can't do anything anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, it just seems like such a basket case in that city. And obviously a lot of people around that state have had enough. They're completely sick of it. And the Republican running statewide there has done a very good job. She's been a smart, capable candidate. It's such a blue place. We'll see. But if enough of people exactly like you in those communities all band together and vote for her, there's a chance that you can actually prevail this time. We shall see. Eric, thank you for the phone call. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Your connection here to the Guy Benson Show. Let's go back to the Midwest now. Ohio. Amy, you're up. Hi there. How are you? Very well. Thanks for calling. Good. Yes. I just wanted to let you know, I, you know, I come from Flag City, USA. Um, I actually voted early last week because I'm typically busy all day long on Tuesdays. And I did straight Republican. Um, hopefully, J.D. Vance will do well. Yeah, so you've got the governor there, DeWine, who it looks like he's going to win very easily. And then for a long time, J.D. Vance was like, you know, up two, maybe three points. Seems like in the last couple of days it's really gotten more comfortable. Some of the polls have him up seven, eight, nine, even ten points. You're one of those voters. Any hesitation or were you just eager to get out there? Oh, absolutely no hesitation. And I also feel like in the last couple of days I've seen that Ryan has been trying to um, run as a sort of uh, – very sort of more Republican than yeah. Democratic. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, no, I'm just moderate, almost like a Republican. But as you know very well, Amy, that is not his record in Congress, and that's his problem for Tim Ryan. J.D. Vance, I think, will be the next senator from Ohio. We will know tonight. Amy, thanks for the call. More of your calls coming up, 833-456-1300. You can clear the table later. Right now, just sit back and relax. Happy Thanksgiving from the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Thank you for listening. Podcast free every day. And our toll-free phone number here is 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. The question on the table for this whole hour is where do you live, where did you vote, who did you vote for, and why? Pretty simple. It's election day. Let's celebrate this election day together. And I don't know about you, I'm really enjoying this. I'm really enjoying this, and I can't wait to take more of your calls. And the lines, I understand, are just packed. Keep trying. 833-456-1300. Let's go to Justin in Wisconsin, our second Wisconsin caller. Hey, Justin. Hi, thanks for taking my call, and uh, this is my first day actually listening to your show, and I enjoy it. Oh, well, Um, welcome to the show. Welcome to the family. Hopefully, you'll be back. I will, and uh, as for who I voted for, um, I voted uh, also for Tim Michaels, as well as Senator Ron Johnson. Um, I voted for them because, uh, well, Governor Johnson, um, excuse me, Senator Johnson has been uh, very good about uh, holding hearings about uh, vaccine injuries, and I think that's important. And um, also, in terms of uh, Governor Evers, he has allowed the Kenosha riots to happen, um, which ultimately led to the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse situation. So um, I'm just very passionate about getting crime down and under control, and I think those two candidates are the best for it. What part of the state do you live in, Justin? Uh, I live in Middleton, which is in Dane County, which is the most liberal part of the— Yeah, that's like Madison, right? Madison area. Yes, yes. So what are you seeing there? I mean, that's where the Dems are going to be counting on huge, huge stats, right, for Evers 
and for Barnes. Uh, that's typically where they get their base, also Milwaukee. When you yeah, talk to neighbors, you know, does it feel different than previous years? What are you, what are you hearing? No, uh, in the area I live in, it's it's, it's about the same. Uh, you're not going to see much change in in, in the, the Dane Carey, Dane County area. It's you know <laughs> they're tried and true Democrats. Um, recently, Matt Walsh came and they uh, vandalized the campus. It's just it's just uh, liberal politics as usual. Well, fortunately, your vote counts just as much in that county as anywhere else. And these are statewide races, really important. Glad you're out there. Welcome to the show. Glad you're finally listening. And uh, we look forward to hopefully having you as a listener for a long time. Thank you very much, Justin. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Queens, New York City. Paul up next on The Guy Benson Show. Guy, I proudly voted for Lee Zeldin for governor. And for attorney general, people don't want to have Letitia's James there, Michael Henry. Nobody seems to talk about Michael Henry, but uh, you got to vote a straight Republican ticket this year. Uh, it's just impossible to vote for people like Chuck Schumer. And, you know, it's just we, we had propositions here in New York. They wanted us to vote for a $4 billion, $200 million proposition for green energy. Voted no to that one. They wanted us to vote for uh, Equity and Inclusion Council. I voted no to that one. Um, you know, we do what we can here in Queens, basically. <laughs> well, did you ever imagine, Paul, and who knows how it's going to go tonight? I still think that Zeldin is an underdog, an underdog with a shot, but still the underdog. Did you ever imagine coming into this cycle that you would be casting a vote in Queens in New York City with a real chance, at least, of helping defeat the Democratic governor? That, that's pretty crazy. The answer is no. I just I couldn't imagine <laughs> that. But things are very bad here. And uh, the, the, you, didn't, you didn't ask about the polling place. It was very energized. I hadn't seen so many people. I did have to stand in line this time. And I got a sense that people are voting with uh, motivation. Of course, I didn't ask anybody, but uh, I, I just get a sense that there's urgency here because things are bad. Things are bad, and nobody has any faith in Hochul. I mean, nobody in their right mind anyway. So uh, to answer your question, uh, this could be a turning point for, for New York. I certainly hope so. There's a real chance out there, and the chance gets better and better with every person who agrees with you going out and voting right now in New York all across that state. Paul, Queens, thank you very much. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Oh, we haven't hit Texas yet. Let's get down to Texas. Houston and Brandy. Hi, Brandy. Thanks for calling. Hey, how's it going? Um, very well. I voted red all the way down. Um, hoping Abbott gets a third term. I do not want Beto in because, to me, the borders and the crime. I live here in Houston. It's it's insane with what's going on with the crossings and all that. And it something needs to be done. So that's why I voted red. Can I and can I ask you? Can I ask yeah. you? Have you always been a Republican voter? Have you been voting for a long time? Was this sort of different for you this year, or was it just like an added sense of urgency because of what you're seeing at the border and elsewhere? To be honest, and a lot of my friends say the same thing, I'm a Gen Xer. When I was younger, I was more liberal and more kind of wild and crazy. But as I got older, now I'm in my late 40s, I've changed to be more conservative, me more Republican to things, and I see things that are more important to me than what it was when I was younger. Mm -hmm. When you talk to your friends and, you know, folks in your social circle, are people sort of 
more openly talking about voting Republican? I just don't know who you sort of run with, who you hang out with. But have you noticed any differences this year, what people are talking about? Yes. Yes. Um, A majority of people that were Democrat a few years ago are now voting Republican just because of the mess that's been going on with the administration that we have now. And people are starting to wake up. Yeah. Well, look, I don't really think that that race down there is going to be very close. I know that they tried to say, oh, you know, Beto's got a shot. They gave him, you know, a billion dollars or whatever they gave him. It's crazy. Uh, I think he's probably going to end up losing pretty handily. I know Carl Rove predicted a 10 point loss for him. We shall see a red wave. It could get bigger. Governor Abbott, I think overall, has done a really nice job in Texas as well. We've had him on this program multiple times. Brandy in Houston, really glad you're listening. Appreciate it very much. Good call. 833-456-1300. Resetting here just so you're clear. It's a simple ask. Pick up the phone. Call us. Tell us who you are, where you're voting from, who you voted for, and why. On this election day, it seems appropriate. It seems fitting. And it's fun. 833-456-1300. Let's go back to the great state of Georgia. And Dave, you're up on The Guy Benson Show. Hello, Dave. Guy, I love your show. I love Christine many more, but um, (laughs) I voted voted for Kemp and Walker. And I actually have some Democrat friends that have done the same. Including Herschel, because I know there's some people going over to Kemp because he's done a good job. I think Stacey Abrams is just awful. But it seems like Herschel Walker is the one that's like, yeah, some people might be more hesitant to pull the lever for him. That's not what you're seeing, at least with your group? With my group, it's not. Uh, They're just done with Warnock. They're just done with him. Yeah. No, I mean, look, he's been voting for all this stuff, right? If you're if you're not happy with what's happening in the country, you're not happy with the president, the president and Chuck Schumer have no more loyal ally. Well, there's a couple in contention, Cortez Masto, Kelly, Hassan, a few others, but Raphael Warnock is right there every step of the way on every major vote. So I think a lot of people are, to use your your term, over it. Dave, very quickly, where in Georgia are you? I'm in Swanee, Georgia, northeast of Atlanta. All right. Was it easy to vote quick, or did you have a bunch of suppression? There, it was. I, I voted early. It took about 10 minutes. There you go. Awesome. Dave, thank you for listening. Thanks for voting. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Here are the Guy Benson Show, Guy Benson Show rather, toll-free number as the calls keep coming in. Chris is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's a key area of a key state. Chris, welcome. How are you? Yeah, I voted Republican straight down the line. Um, my experience was good. I was surprised they even um, ID'd me at the polls this year. And I haven't, oh, good. Yeah, I haven't been ID'd at the polls for years. <laughs> it, was, now- it, it felt really good, actually. Are you in Philadelphia proper, or are you in the burbs? Philadelphia proper, proper. Interesting. Yeah. Now, because let me ask you about this, because one of the things that I've been hearing from my PA people is what the Democrats are watching very carefully and maybe nervously is number one, are the Democrats getting the turnout that they need in Philly, and number two, of the people who are turning out, are they this sort of this landslide Democratic electorate? And we've seen little, you know, little examples in the last couple of years where 
just baby steps at a time, it's moving a little bit more Republican, if you can believe it. Does that sound right to you? Do you think the Democrats should be concerned? I, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I am a registered Democrat, but I've been voting Republican for, yeah, I guess, two terms, two presidential terms, three maybe back. Interesting. And so it was. you were all on board, Dr. Oz and the whole crew? Oh, I'm all on board. Oz, right. Mastriano, the whole crew. Chris in Philadelphia in one of the most important states in the country calling in here on the Guy Benson Show. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for listening. 833-456-1300 is our number. 833-456-1300. Let's go way up north. Minnesota Bob is here. Bob, there's actually sort of an under-the-radar governor's race where if it really gets to be a big red wave tonight, people might be a little surprised in your state. Thanks for calling. What did you do? What are you seeing up there? I voted early today. I voted a straight Republican ticket. Uh, everybody I know is voting Republican. We just had it. Inflation, poor schools, crime, uh, an AG that wants cashless bail, lets the crooks out of jail. No, thank you. That's Keith straight Ellison, Republican. right? Yes. Yeah, I've seen some polls that Keith Ellison really absolutely uh, could lose, right? I think the governor's race would be an upset. That AG race is really close, and a lot of it comes back to, I mean, you guys in Minnesota bore a lot of the brunt of that rioting and violence and insanity a couple summers ago. And I think, you know, when you see Keith Ellison running the show like that, a lot of people deeply dissatisfied, I would imagine. Well, absolutely. I mean— Walls had a chance to get the National Guard and everything else in here to take care of it, and, and they wouldn't do it. It's just time for a whole new administration. Thank you. All right. Bob, really appreciate the call. Thank you. 833-456-1300, 833-456-1300. Where do you live? Who'd you vote for? Why? On this election day across the country. Let's go to Francis uh, calling in Massachusetts, New England. Hey, Francis. Hello. I voted for Jeff Deal, a Trump-endorsed governor, to, um, to win over uh, more Healy. Uh, Charlie Baker decided not to rerun. Right. And, um, so, and I also voted for Bob May to unseat Seth Moulton in my district. And he has a great chance. There's not much polling here in Mass. But I got to tell you, the long signs for Bob May to unseat Seth Moulton outnumber Seth about 25 to 1, believe mm-hmm. it or not. And I think Jeff Beal has an awesome chance. I hardly ever hear him mentioned anywhere. No. But, you know, he's Trump endorsed and American first are all the way. And I confess, I have been a lifelong Democrat voter, partly mainly out of ignorance. But uh, after the lockdowns, I vowed I would never, ever vote for a single Democrat ever, ever, ever again. And I am American first all the way. Oh, so it was it was COVID and the lockdowns that really turned you? Oh, man, I'm telling you, I have a small business. I, uh, you know, do massage. March 15, 2020, I was so booked, so busy. The next day, I don't even know what happened. <laughs> you know, no, no, the I government can only stepped on my throat, no ifs, ands, or buts, and that was the craziest thing I ever witnessed in my 55 years 
on earth. All my rights were taken away in a heartbeat along with everyone else, and I will not stand for anything like that ever well, again. I mean, well, Francis, uh, thanks for being out there. Thank you so much for listening. I don't know about Massachusetts this year. You never know. But in New England, there's some interesting stuff happening in New Hampshire, in Maine, in Connecticut, in Rhode Island. So all the neighbors are maybe getting in on the action. Why not Massachusetts? We'll see. 833-456-1300. California, back to the left coast. Hilda is up on the Guy Benson Show. Welcome. Thank you, Guy. I love your show. And uh, as I was telling your uh, screener earlier, I voted straight Republican because I'm not better off than two years ago. So I want to get Republicans back. I remember when I first came to the country as an immigrant 30-some years ago, uh, you know, it was Republican. It was the best, best time of my life. And, I, you know, right now that ever since um, this president, Biden, is in power, I mean, homelessness, you know, the the cost of food, gas, even though I'm driving a Tesla, but yeah. <laughs> my husband doesn't. So it's just we just, we just want to get everything back to normal uh, because we came to this country, land of opportunities where we would have a better life than where I came from. So. Where, where did you come from? I came from Iran. I'm an Armenian oh, wow. from Iran. Well, I mean, uh, th- that's a whole other conversation you and I could have, I, I can imagine. Uh, but that is a great phone call. I think that you're speaking for a lot of people, including a heck of a lot of people in the state of California, which is so insane and broken in so many ways. There's a lot of people who are fed up out there. The L.A. mayor race could be very interesting, for example. Hilda, really appreciate the call. Thank you so very much for listening. 833-456-1300. Where do you live? Who'd you vote for today or early and why? We'll take more of your calls right after this very short break on The Guy Benson Show. Let us be your escape from your drunk relatives. Happy Thanksgiving from us on The Guy Benson Show. Election Day here on The Guy Benson Show, where our phone number is 833-456-1300. Let's try to do a lightning round and get as many of these calls in as we possibly can before the top of the hour Starting with Betty in New Hampshire. Betty, you're up. I voted Republican because they don't feel our country will survive another two years in the direction it's going. couple big races up there. Governor, Senate got really close. We'll see what happens, Betty. Thanks for the call. Paula is in Florida. Hi, Paula. Hi. I voted for DeSantis. I went Republican all the way because of our rights that we need to get rid of some of this climate change that is totally unreal and actually harmful to everybody. Where in Florida are you, Paula? I'm in Melbourne. Okay. Well, I mean, the numbers, I just keep looking at these numbers during commercial breaks. It's just insane down in Florida. What's going to happen? <laughs> these margins, man. Keep voting down there, Florida. It's, it's wild. 833-456-1300. Joyce calling from Washington State Pacific Northwest. Hello, Joyce. Hi, how are you? Great. I voted for Smiley. Actually, I voted strictly Republican. You know, it's interesting, and and thanks for the call, Joyce. Uh, Tiffany Smiley, that would be such an upset out there, but I saw the Patty Murray campaign put out a memo being like, oh, this might not be decided on election night. It might take days to find out. Uh, they are definitely sweating at the very least out there. 833-456-1300. Kim in New York. Hi, Kim. Hey, guy. What's happening? 
Not much. Who'd you vote for? I voted for Lee Zeldin. I'm not insane. <laughs> Where in New York are you? Um, right here in the great borough, Queens. All right. I mean, look, if Lee Zeldin, he told us, he told us on this show, if he can get into the 30s percentage-wise in New York City, he's got a real shot at winning. And we've heard a couple people from Queens today, Zeldin voters calling into the show. Perk in Maryland, I wanted to give you the last word, but we are up on a break. Thank you for calling in. Wow. What an hour of phone calls. Thanks for listening, everyone. Another hour coming up. You're listening to the best of Guy Benson. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. You're listening to the best of Guy Benson. It is our final hour here on The Guy Benson Show on this Wednesday. The happy hour sponsored by our friends at the Finnish Long Drink, thelongdrink.com for more information. Always drink responsibly, 21 plus only. Our website here, guybensonshow.com. Podcast is always free on demand. Guybensonshow.com, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me now is Dr. Condoleezza Rice, who served from 2005 to 2009 as the 66th Secretary of State of the United States of America under President Bush. She is now the director of the Hoover Institution, where we're broadcasting from, a senior fellow here as well. She's authored numerous books, most recently, To Build a Better World, Choices to End the Cold War and Create a Global Commonwealth. Madam Secretary, it's great to see you again. It's great to see you, too. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. So we've had the privilege of broadcasting from Hoover now three or four times. It's always great to be back here. Since our last visit, you became director of Hoover. If you would just reflect briefly on why this place matters, why it's special, and what it means to you to be helming this institution. It matters a lot to have a place that is dedicated to the mission that uh, Herbert Hoover set out for us. It was to improve the human condition uh, through an understanding of the importance of free markets and private enterprise, limited government, and individual liberty. And that's still at the core of what makes a great democracy. And so here at Hoover, we work on the problems that are confronting that great democracy, whether they be problems abroad, like uh, how to deal with a rising China, uh, how to leverage a relationship with uh, India, uh, or problems here at home, how to make sure that every child has a K-12 education that is worthy of the name education, and increasingly uh, issues of state and local governance, and for us, technology and governance. We sit in the Silicon Valley, and we think we have some things to say about that. But the thing I'm most excited about is that we've just created a new center for the revitalization of American institutions. Because these great institutions that we were bequeathed by our founders have served us well, but they're under attack from people who say that they're not worthy because they were born of slavery uh, to people who say they're not worthy because they only serve elites. And uh, we believe that, uh, yes, these institutions may need reform, they may need revitalization, but they are precious. And here at Hoover, we want to find a better way to defend them. One of those institutions is the Department of State, which you led under President Bush. I saw over the summer some advertisements for a master class that you taught with a previous Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, who passed away earlier this year. I did want to take the opportunity to ask you just about your relationship with her across party lines and her legacy, because it's got to be 
pretty cool to have forged that relationship as two female secretaries of state, albeit from opposite sides of the political spectrum. And that relationship uh, goes back a long time because Madeline's father was the person who saved a failed piano major and taught her international <laughs> politics at the University of Denver. What a small world. A very small world. And I remember when he said, I have this daughter you have to meet. Her name's Madeline. And so we finally did meet. Madeline uh, was really just a fierce fighter for the values that we espouse, for liberty for all, for uh, standing up to tyranny. Uh, she's maybe best known for her decision that we had to find a way to help intervene in the civil war that was taking place in the Balkans uh, in the 90s. Uh, but Madeline was just somebody who believed in these values. She fought for them. She was uh, fierce as they come, and uh, I miss her. She was also a very, very good friend. Let's talk about Russia and Ukraine. And Russia analysis is sort of in the sweet spot of your wheelhouse. So where does this go from here? I know nobody has a crystal ball. You can't possibly predict the future, but you know a fair amount about Vladimir Putin. You've been watching this war develop. A two-part question, what comes next in your view? And secondly, what should the United States government be doing and the West broadly and not doing? Well, let me go to the last part of that first. Uh, we are doing the right things. I might have done them a little bit earlier with a little bit more speed, but uh, but when a people are willing to stand up for their national heritage, for the values of, of liberty and uh, for the sovereignty, which, by the way, we helped to guarantee when the Ukrainians uh, gave up their nuclear weapons at the time of the collapse of the Soviet Union, right. uh, when we believe in a rules-based international order uh, where large countries don't simply decide to make small countries extinct, which is what Vladimir Putin is doing, uh, we have to support them. And I fully support the military assistance we're giving them. Uh, we've really been uh, helping to train them since the end of the Crimean uh, events in 2014. The military of the Ukraine is turning out to be quite effective, and we need to keep supporting them. Now, what should we not do? I hear a lot of people talking about off-ramps for Vladimir Putin. Well, it's Vladimir Putin who keeps shutting off the off-ramps. Uh, you don't annex your, uh, legally annex your, uh, illegally annex your neighbor's territory and then want to negotiate. So uh, Vladimir Putin, who got himself into a war that he thought was going to be easy, now has to mobilize uh, young men in Russia to fight this war. They're fleeing the country rather than fight. They, they, I read that one of the most searched uh, elements, articles on, uh, on, on the equivalent of Google is, how do I break my own arm? That says something about who's willing to fight in this. And I want to say one thing about the, the big threat that everybody talks about, the nuclear threat. That was my Vladimir next question. Yes. I, I can't say that the chances are zero. I probably would have said that months ago. Maybe it's 10%. That's pretty scary. But you can't self-deter under these circumstances. And you just have to keep reminding Vladimir Putin that to use a tactical nuclear weapon, which would have no battlefield value really for him, his military is doing poorly, uh, not because they don't have tactical nuclear weapons, but because they are badly trained, badly equipped, the logistics is terrible, and they have low morale. He's not going to fix that with a tactical nuclear weapon. Secondly, I'd say to him, winds blow east. Uh, you're going to contaminate your own country. And finally, you really will be a pariah forever. And so I think telling him that there would be catastrophic consequences, not defining them, is the right way to deal with this. And so don't try to push the Ukrainians into some kind of negotiation. Give them the upper hand on the ground first. And then if Putin, realizing that he's losing this war, wants to negotiate, they go to the table uh, in the strongest position. He has been wielding energy as a weapon, obviously trying to leverage Europe and blackmail them 
in some ways bully them. On the broader question of energy, OPEC making the announcement earlier that they're going to curtail the production moving forward here, which obvi- of oil, which obviously is a huge deal, has implications abroad, geopolitically, also here at home as we look at domestic mm-hmm. energy production and consumption. What do you make of that move? I know everyone's analyzing it through the very near-term prism of the midterm elections. Mm-hmm. Fine. But it goes much broader than that, doesn't it? It does. If, if ever we had a wake-up call about the need to fully develop the North American platform from Canada to Mexico through the United States, the gift that it is to be able to be energy self-sufficient, and oh, by the way, uh, to produce enough energy to export to uh, to other countries. If ever we needed a wake-up call, Vladimir Putin has given it to us, and uh, there's a second jingling of that call by what OPEC has done. Um, I, I have to say I've always known the Saudis to do what they need to do for their budget, so I wouldn't read much into this from the point of view of the Ukrainian events. I think this is really the Saudis saying, here's where the price of oil needs to be for us to do what we need to do. Do you really want to be dependent on the Saudis in that way? Do you really want to be dependent on the Russians and the Iranians? Or would you rather have U.S. be the source of those hydrocarbons? I know everybody who believes that climate change is a problem, and I do believe that it's a problem, uh, wants to get as, as, um, as much as we can to a cleaner set of sources of energy. That would be called natural gas. And it would also say that that transition is going to take some time. You're not going to be uh, able to get uh, rid of hydrocarbons in the near term. I would rather those hydrocarbons come from the United States and stable places like this. And you can't send mixed signals to the producers of oil and gas who have long-tail investments. I was a Chevron director in the 90s. The investments that these companies have to make are long-tail investments. So don't tell them, well, produce for seven years, and then we're going to move on to renewables. They have to have some predictability. And And by the way, you're greedy right now, and we want to put you out of business, but produce, produce, produce. But produce, produce, produce. And oh, by the way, we've given you leases, but not permitting. So the energy policy uh, is, I think, the core of where we have to go if we want to have both a sensible energy policy and energy security. Madam Secretary, in your first answer, you referenced a rising China. Let's talk about China and that challenge for a moment. I'm sure you get many questions about Iraq and the legacy of Iraq and the Bush administration, the decisions made leading up to that war. I wonder if you get as many questions about the Bush administration's policy vis-a-vis China. And it's not really unique only to Bush. It's numerous administrations across both parties that I think some critics would say now were perhaps too sanguine about China's intentions and what their designs were. Based on what you know now, what you're looking at now, looking back on your time as Secretary of State, what do you think your administration and others got right about China and maybe not right? I would just say, what was the alternative? Uh, Was the alternative to try and isolate 1.4 billion people with an economy that was growing rapidly? Uh, Yes, we we and others before us uh, took a chance after Deng Xiaoping. And that was the view that if you could integrate China into the international economy, the international economy would grow as a result, which, by the way, it did. It did. And uh, you would began to to change the nature of Chinese uh, policy. I never was one who believed you were going to democratize China as a result of, result of this, but I did expect that they would respect uh, intellectual property. I did expect that they would be uh, that their markets would be more open, and we fought for that every single day. I can't tell you how many conversations I had with Hu Jintao. You're stealing intellectual property. Uh, open your markets, and so it's not as if people were uh, naive about what was going on with China. 
But the, the, I do think there was a change with Xi Jinping. And that was that he essentially gave up on any sense that China had responsibilities to the international system and began to just take, take, take to uh, enhance China's uh, growing authority in the international system. And that meant uh, challenging the United States on technology. We're going to surpass you in AI and quantum computing. And, and uh, oh, by the way, we learned that we were way too dependent on supply chains through China for everything from pharmaceuticals to uh, our over-dependence on semiconductors. Right, they're stealing our stuff uh, the, and then we're so reliant exactly. on them. Exactly. And and that was maybe we maybe people were sleeping on that a bit. And and I give some credit to the Trump administration for raising and to my friend Mike Pompeo for raising that uh, as an issue. I think we are we're now reacting uh, in a better way toward that. And uh, at core, it means we have to get our own act in order. It means we have to make the investments in technology here in the United States because I don't I don't have authoritarian envy. The Chinese can lay out their plans. Authoritarians make terrible mistakes because it's a single point of failure with one man. You know, that zero COVID thing's not working out so well. That one child policy didn't work out so well. We're now hearing that their policy to be indigenous in what they do in terms of chip development isn't working out so well. So if we do what we need to do, I'll bet on American democracy and I'll bet on our distributed innovation rather than uh, what China is doing. But are you worried at all? about American and Western companies becoming in some ways addicted to Chinese money and that huge market, far from perhaps turning the Chinese government in our direction, it seems like in some ways the Chinese government is able to manipulate American companies because they don't want to lose access to the market. Is that an overblown fear? Well, I, I think it depends on what, what companies you're talking about. I, I really think, I've, I tell companies all the time, if you have technology and China in the same sentence, uh, don't go there because uh, it, whether it's the Chinese wanting to be more indigenous in their development or the American government rightly being concerned about the transfer of sensitive technologies and then ending up in the PLA, uh, the technology sector is going to decouple, and I have no problem with that. You know, if uh, if Chinese young people uh, want to buy iPhones, I don't really have a problem with that, and I will say something about it. You know, those Chinese leaders have those young princelings kind of like Western uh, goods. Um, when uh, the NBA was uh, in the crosshairs because of what the general manager in Houston had said about Hong Kong, I did tell Adam Silver, I said, you know, Adam, they're not going to kick the NBA out. You know why? Because those young princelings, those only children, are not going to watch the Chinese national team play the Kazakh national team. They want to watch the NBA. So I don't want to cut off an entire generation of Chinese consumers from what America can produce, but I don't want to, uh, to uh, transfer uh, the, the jewels of technology either. Well, you just mentioned NBA basketball. I think I want to talk NFL football when we come back. Dr. Condoleezza Rice, my guest here at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. It's the Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned. Let us be your escape from your drunk relatives. Happy Thanksgiving from us on The Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson here with Condoleezza Rice. Madam Secretary, since you invoke sports, I would be remiss if we did not talk a little football. Tomorrow night, Colts, Broncos in Denver, Thursday night football, Amazon Prime game. Interesting. Got it. You are now in the ownership group of the Denver Broncos. You went to school as an undergrad in Denver. Is it surreal? Looking back on your life and all the things that you've done, you are now an NFL, at least partial owner. That is wild. That, I, well, I'm a, a 
tiny partial owner, but I am a partial owner. It It counts. It counts. It counts. In some ways, it's full circle. So I was the uh, daughter of a football coach who thought he was going to get a boy and who planned to have his all-American linebacker, and I'm an only child. So I jokingly said, I think my father's probably saying, and he's gone to the Lord, but finally she got an important job you know she's a football she's an owner of the denver broncos i actually went to high school in denver so my denver contacts go denver connections go back even further than that i love it i love the sport um i know it has a lot of challenges from player safety to how to think about the relationship to an intercollegiate uh uh, framework that's changing uh every every day uh but it's a really quite american sport you know we're impatient so we want a clock uh, there are not that many things that bring uh, the CEO and the shop steward and the intern together because they're all wearing that Denver Broncos stuff. So uh, I love the sport, and I'm, I'm just grateful to uh, the uh, Walton Pitter Group for the uh, opportunity to be a part of the, the, the ownership. Is there any tension because of your passion for the game? between being now a partial owner of this organization and then a lifelong rabid fan of a different organization in Cleveland. Like, how do you navigate that? It's funny. Uh, It's come quite naturally (laughs) with the Broncos. (laughs) Remember, I did live in Denver for all of those years, and so um, I I love the Broncos as well. Um, I I won't give up on the, the Cleveland Browns. I hope they win, except when they play the Denver Broncos. All right, fair enough. Finally, since you mentioned player safety, if there were a Commissioner Rice, which I know has been a long-standing ambition of yours, on a slightly more serious note, we saw what happened with the Miami quarterback, Tua, and the concussion protocols and all of that. What would you recommend the league do? Because that's something where I think non-fans look in from the outside and say, yeah. that's crazy. Well, it is definitely a, a, a violent game. We know that. It's a, it's a game that is uh, with their risk. It to has to the, be. Their, their risk. Uh, I think the league has done a lot over the last years. Uh, I happen to know some neuroscientists who are working with the league on, on brain injury and how to prevent it. Um, I think teaching people to tackle differently the rules, uh, these are all important things to do. But, but when you have an incident that uh, may or may not be questionable, I think you review it. And I read that the uh, Players Association is going to review the circumstances. I think that's a good thing. I hope the, the league will review the circumstances because it, it, everybody needs to get better at this. Player safety has to be uh, the highest priority because uh, without, without the sense that player safety is taken seriously, football won't, won't last. And so I think we all have uh, an obligation to make sure that it's right in the forefront. And I think the league has tried over recent years to do that. Uh, you can't have to keep it's, – it's one of those things that you have to keep reminding yourself every day. Dr. Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State under the Bush administration and now director here at the Hoover Institution. Madam Secretary, a real pleasure. It's great to see you. Great to see you, and thanks for being with us here at Hoover, and welcome to California. The Guy Benson Show returns after this. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Happy hour continuing here on the Guy Benson Show from the Hoover Institution in Palo Alto, California. Earlier in the program, back in our first hour, we welcomed Dr. Mehmet Oz to the program. He's, of course, the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Crucial race. He's been closing on his opponent. Here's part of my conversation with Dr. Oz. What is happening on the ground in Pennsylvania that you're seeing? There's a lot of suffering in Pennsylvania over lawlessness. And let me unwrap that a little bit. 
there is, without question, an increase in violent crime across the Commonwealth. In some places like Philadelphia, uh, we have more murders than ever before in our history. Uh, the highest per capita murder rate of any large American city. We had our 1,000th carjacking this weekend. You don't, can't see people walking in the street anymore. Parents won't let their kids leave home. And this, not surprisingly, uh, is raising a lot of anger uh, amongst people. I was at a prayer vigil on Sunday night listening to some of these folks talking about the fact they just can't keep up. And the violence creates long-term post-traumatic stress disorder in the population. It doesn't just get better. So the question is, why do we have it? Well, part of it's because we have far-left liberal politicians like my opponent, John Fetterman, who's advocated for releasing one-third of all prisoners in the state, uh, wants to eliminate life sentences for murderers. He seems to care more about the murderers, actually, than the innocent. You know, on the parole board, which he sits, uh, and he meticulously attends all those meetings, but he doesn't go to his other meetings, he's always pushing to get folks who've done heinous crimes off, even, even when the victim's families don't want it to happen. And this behavior has... Uh, with a lot of voters, chilled them on whether he's doing the right thing. Does he have the right insights? Does he reflect the values of the Commonwealth? At the same time, not just here but across the country, we're having a fentanyl death increase that is shocking. And it's caused because we have an open border, so fentanyl pours across. Not only is there a problem because it can come across, but the cartels are making so much money with human trafficking that they can easily invest in, in, in narcotics like fentanyl and pump them into uh, the, uh, the United States. But in addition, my opponent, Betterman, in addition to wanting open borders, wants to decriminalize all drugs and wants heroin injection sites. Now, I went down to Kensington, which is where Rocky used to go. You know, that's where they filmed the movie, where he'd go boxing in the streets. Yeah. Well, that area wasn't a bad area in, in you know, years past. I went to graduate school in Philadelphia. I lived down here. But you can't walk in the street there. Now, you've got people with needles sticking out of their bodies, just you know, leaving hundreds of people living on the street corners, making it impossible for shop owners and their customers to enter stores. People can't go to their homes anymore. And again, this is an example of far-left liberal, liberal policies gone wrong. And I've been going down there for years to help, but I want to make sure everyone realizes when you have bad policies from far-left political leaders like John Fetterman who are not willing to look at the results of what they're doing, then you've got people who you should not put in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, let's talk about what Fetterman's saying. His campaign is trying to say, oh, these are distortions, these are lies from the Republicans, it's not true, I don't believe these things. The problem is, at least from my perspective, maybe uh, I'm wrong about this, maybe I'm a novice here, but it seems to me that when you have said all of these things on tape, it is sort of hard to walk away from them. And now he's trying to run away from them, but the record is what it is. His public policies are what they are, and his past statements aren't invented by you. They are simply highlighted by you. I'm not really sure how they get around that. Well, the ads have been pretty straightforward. It's just him talking on camera about things that he's done and wants to do more of, and they have directly led to the crises that we're facing. I haven't even gotten to the economic issues where he criticized Joe Biden for not spending enough money. Uh, he strongly supported tax increases as lieutenant governor and as uh, one of the state Biden tax increase to go through. He hasn't paid his own 67 times. Yeah. And on camera says that was just, uh, you know, it just slipped through the cracks. So you can't avoid this reality. But there's a se separate part of their campaign. Uh, he unfortunately had a stroke before the primary. They, they didn't tell people about it uh, in a timely fashion, which is a separate issue. But he's managed to just keep quiet the whole time. He doesn't really campaign much. You know, he'll go out once a week and do a, a public statement, but he won't take questions. 
He has not yet answered questions from voters on the campaign trail, has not answered questions from press on the campaign trail, hasn't agreed to debate with me until the very end uh, of, of this month when the absentee ballots are already out in Pennsylvania. And so he's actually hiding and trying to run the clock out. And although he sort of addresses these criticisms, up till recently, he's just been open that, you know, people wouldn't get it. But Pennsylvanians are smart. They're getting it. And as they understand the, the, the real threat that he offers, they start to get upset about it and start to shift their votes in my direction. But for everyone who doesn't live in Pennsylvania, this is why this race matters to you. Not only is it control of the Senate for the Republicans, but more importantly, if he were to go to Washington, the first thing he wants to do is to blow up the filibuster. This is the kind of person he is. He's really radical about these ideas. So without a filibuster, you lose the last real calming element of U.S. government. You'll be getting whipshawed back right to left with a whiplash as, uh, as you know, government shifts left and back right and back left again. We don't want that for America, and we don't want to put someone in the Senate who's going to be a destabilizing force as he has been here in Pennsylvania during his years as lieutenant governor. It seems like the crux of his campaign is to say the word abortion as often as possible, to say that you're not from the state, that you're from New Jersey, to call you an elitist. And I think the new thing that I saw is that you, like, killed puppies or something like that. I mean, some of this does have an air of desperation about it. When you see those attacks, oh, you know, he's, he's from New Jersey, he's an elitist, what is your response to Fetterman, where a lot of these attacks seem to be personal and cultural about you, not so much about his record or the issues. It's a recipe for failure on his part. The voters in Pennsylvania are wise enough to make decisions based on how it affects their kitchen table issues. Voters are going to decide based on who they think will manage the economy better, crime better, and the the cartel-run drug trafficking issue better. That's how they're going to make their choices. And he can throw as many personal insults at at me as he wants, but if I did well in life, and I have, and my father grew up on a dirt floor. I mean, we're very proud in my family that as my dad was an immigrant, we were able to live the American dream. America is a wonderful country, abundantly uh, full of, of, uh, of opportunity, and you have to work to get it. And I want that to be true for everybody else. People are not going to vote against me because I was successful. In fact, I often argue that you know, people don't really care where you're from. They care what you stand for. Do you have the values of Pennsylvanians? There's a reason that the Fraternal Order of Police, both statewide and locally in Philadelphia, and the patrolmen, they're all endorsing me, not him, because they know that he's not supportive of, the, of their challenges, that I understand what it takes to run into a to a environment where it's risky and protect both you and the person you're trying to help and make sure the, the culprits of is apprehended. These are all important to have law and order in a state so people can feel safe going to work, you know, raising their families, et cetera. Those are the Pennsylvania values that I stand for. John Fetterman has a far left perspective on this. And, on, uh, and the average voter, when they wake up to that, they don't want him representing us. I do want to go off the beaten path a little bit and ask you about the issue of same-sex marriage, which has become broadly popular in the United States, although sort of a split among conservatives in the Republican Party. I'm in favor of same-sex marriage because I'm in one, so I'm definitely for that. I also understand some people disagree. We can have differences of opinion. Within the Republican Senate conference, for example, there are people uh, with both views on this overall question. Where do you come down on the issue of same-sex marriage? And I know that there's a bill that might get voted on perhaps in the coming months, maybe in the lame duck session, maybe in the next Congress, that sort of codifies the institution of same-sex marriage uh, with a vote in Congress, not just relying on the Obergefell decision from the Supreme Court that I personally believe is going nowhere. 
That being said, I'm just wondering where you come down on this, what your stance is on that overall issue. Well, I mentioned at the outset, the best thing I did in my life was to marry Lisa. Uh, Marriage is the one covenant we sign with society. You know, we don't sign our birth certificate or a death certificate. Marriage is is crucial, and I want everyone to be able to have access to marriage. That full interview with Dr. Oz on that very important Senate contest in the Keystone State, available online at GuyBensonShow.com, also on the free podcast on demand every single day when the show is over. That's also available at GuyBensonShow.com or FoxNewsPodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch. Did producer Christine make it through the Condoleezza Rice interaction without fainting? We'll tell you after this. You can clear the table later. Right now, just sit back and relax. Happy Thanksgiving from The Guy Benson Show. Here's the 1-1. Swung on. There it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 62 to set the new American League record. Home stretch here on the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast every single day. For example, if you missed Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State, you want to go back and hear that interview. It's on the free podcast. It's also up in its own post at GuyBensonShow.com. It'll be up there any moment. That was the voice of John Sterling, Yankees radio play-by-play broadcaster for many years. His call last night in Texas as Aaron Judge finally broke the record. Roger Maris's long-standing American League single-season home run record has now been breached. Aaron Judge is the new AL single-season king. Some people would argue he is the rightful owner of the record because there's no asterisk. He's not juiced. There's no steroids involved there. I will simply say, officially, he is the AL single-season home run king. And I think the pressure was getting to him. I didn't think he was going to get it done in the Bronx because everyone was standing for every pitch of every at-bat and booing whenever anyone threw a ball out of the strike zone. And ultimately, he tied the record in Toronto at 61 and then yesterday hit number 62 in Texas, I saw our colleague Will Kane was at the game and missed it. He was getting food, and he was so mad at himself. And I sort of snarkily tweeted at Will. I said, you know, in fairness to you, it's not like there's some sort of order in which the batters come up where you could plan accordingly. They come up at total random, Will. And so I can't believe you would go to the game and miss a judge at bat. <laughs> but he did. Judge hit it out, number 62. And the Yankees now tonight are hoping for regular season win number 100. That game underway right now. And then it's off to the playoffs. Good luck to everyone's team out there, but mostly the Yankees. We had to get some baseball in here. We talked about basketball with Secretary Rice. We talked about football, of course, with Secretary Rice. And I did mention to Condi, since I guess we're now very close, that producer Christine, a longtime sports hater, I would almost say, certainly football, has now become a fan and attended her first game Monday night here in the Bay Area. And Dr. Rice was thrilled by that development and then asked Christine about it. And you looked like you were going to pass out. I didn't know what to do. There is a picture I should post. I'm in mid-shock 
when she's talking to me about the game because it was so unexpected. She looked at me. She goes, and I heard you went to your first football game. And I'm like, I I did. (laughs) Yes, you could barely speak. So, Christine, you were, I'd say, as excited for this interview as any guest we've ever had here. Oh, yes. You went and bought an entire outfit for the purpose of meeting Condoleezza Rice. Of course. That's what you do. I bought a power suit. I mean, I didn't buy any new clothes. I, I put on a nice tie and jacket. It's not a new outfit. That's on you. Okay. So would you like to describe for the audience? I mean, look at this. Your purchase? Well, they it's, can't. It's a nice, well, I'm telling you, it's a nice plum suit, Banana Republic's okay. finest. I, 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 think I like it's, it's a little purple. Yeah. I like that. Go Cats. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's a little deeper and plum right. than, than a real purple. And then you've got the white Yeah, the white button-down. Bef- I've never had a suit before. And I have to say, and I told the boys back in New York and D.C., I don't know how you guys wear suits all the time. It is hot in a suit. Mm-hmm. So when you're at a wedding and, like, say the funky chicken comes on, are you going to always take the jacket off before you get on the dance floor? Uh, I would run for the hills before I dance to the funky chicken. But for other songs and dancing, yeah, the jacket would come off at a wedding. I would Hi, say. Joe. I, I don't really know if I do line dancing necessarily. I don't do a lot of group dancing. YMCA? YMCA. It is the easiest dance ever. Hands up. It's just like, let's do a song for white people that they can do, <laughs> and they can just make the YMCA hand gestures. The Macarena, I guess, like when I was but a those, kid. But those songs are the ones you need at the wedding to, to get, you know, Aunt Esther on the floor. I guess, although we didn't do any of that at our wedding, and we didn't really have too much trouble with people dancing because we played good music. Yeah, did you, you didn't really have a lot of elderly people there either. Not really. We have gone completely. We should really. I know. <laughs> I, does it come back? Let's come back to yes. the topic here. Dr. Rice. I was about to make an elderly joke, but I'm not going to do that. Don't. What were your impressions of Condoleezza Rice based I- on what you were expecting? Actually, I was expecting exactly how she was. I was surprised. I thought she was going to be more business, like, we got to go. We're, you know, we're on a schedule. And she was so nice, especially when you guys were taking pictures and I was standing there. She goes, come on. Yeah, you know, she was warm. Me. Very. And all of a sudden, it's it's so funny because you're preparing for an interview like this. I was brainstorming. I was actually dreaming about the interview a little bit last night. Yeah. And different things that I would want to ask. And you only have so much time. Mm-hmm. We had two segments, like, you know, get it in. And then it becomes a hurry-up-and-wait situation. So I came in early. I had my whole legal pad here filled with questions and different phrasings of things that I might try to consider and different topics if we had extra time or follow-ups. And then it's 20 minutes before she's scheduled to arrive. And so we're tinkering with everything, mm-hmm. just busy bodies. Then all of a sudden, I look up and boom, she's right there. I know. And she came out of nowhere. Yep, yep. And then we sat down, had the interview. Again, you can go to the free podcast. You can go to our website, GuyBensonShow.com for it. You got your photo with the secretary. And I just want to take the opportunity here, and we'll say it again, I'm sure, on Friday. But after the interview concluded and while she was on her way out, she just reiterated, it's great to have you guys here. We love having you here. Thank you for coming to Hoover. And that gratitude absolutely flows right back in their direction for them to invite us here basically every year, of course, with the two-year gap due to COVID, but to have consistently come here and have the opportunity to speak to these incredible fellows that they have. And I know that Condi was sort of like 
your biggest get that you always wanted, and now you've now you've checked the box, Christine. So I guess What's if next? if we're invited back, you're gonna be like, oh, it should be a breeze to get her back on the show. <laughs> yeah, who's who's next for you? Because you do get, I I wouldn't say obsessed, but you have booking fixation sometimes where you are chasing someone down for months, sometimes years. Uh, yes, I've actually just started, e- even while this interview was happening with Condi, I had just started my next big one. Okay, well. Just putting out the feel. I'm not going to say who it is. Okay, you don't want to jinx You know anything. who it is. Oh, do I? Okay, well, tell me after. Okay. I think I might know, but you, you have a lot of different irons in the fire. Well, I'm just going to put this out there. Dr. Rice knows him very well. Oh, well, oh, I, I can't imagine who it might be. <laughs> All right, Christine, well. We're probably going to go to dinner after the show in a little bit. I've got TV, actually, on Fox Business Network in the 6 p.m. hour, so you can see me toward the end of the hour, FBN, the evening edit, and then afterwards we'll sort of regroup and go to dinner. Are you going to go and maybe dress down a little bit, get the suit back into the garment bag and everything? I have to wear the power suit out. Oh, you want to you want to go to dinner in this? Maybe. So, I mean, this would be a very fancy look for you out on the town. <laughs> a little classier than what the folks are used to seeing you. Oh, in. I thought you were going to say a little classier than what you've been wearing. No, no. We've, I will say I've been wearing definitely a very casual look out here. It's California. Yes. And all that. For Condoleezza Rice, you know, I think I had to class it up just a little bit. Just Nicer little. shoes. Put on the jacket. I wasn't – I was debating the tie. Put on the big power pink tie. So I, I think it worked out well. And we're not done. We have two more days, two more programs here at the Hoover Institution with fantastic guests as well, including H.R. McMaster scheduled for Friday. So – There's a lot to look forward to here on The Guy Benson Show. In the meantime, have a great night. See you on FBN coming up in this next hour. And we will talk to you same time, same place tomorrow. Thank you for listening. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.